This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from the office of Cressa Real Estate here in Tysons, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Daniel Patterson, Brunch Digital, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, and Alex Bartholomus, People Stretch Solutions. We have a great lineup of guests for you on our show today, including Cindy Benavides, CEO, League of United Latin American Citizens, Matt Haywood, CEO of Transit Screen, Chris Taylor, CEO of Govini, and Jason Siegel, partner in Blue Text. Let's get to know our first guest, Cindy Benavides, CEO, League of United Latin American Citizens. Cindy, what is the League of United Latin American Citizens? LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens, is the oldest and largest national Latino civil rights organization in the country. Mm -hmm. How large or how small is it? We are about um, 100,000 members plus strong across 35 states, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. Wow. Were you from originally? I was born in Honduras and uh, raised in South Central and the city of Alexandria. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, how young were you when you moved to the Alexandria, Virginia area? I was in the third grade. Uh Uh-huh. And what, what do you remember about that period of time? Were you, were you speaking English uh, when you moved to uh, Alexandria? I, I was in ESL classes, and I remember um, learning how to pronounce words um, in, in my so term. So you really weren't speaking English well when you, you were in ESL classes. When you moved, were you at the beginning, the middle, or the end of the school year? I was at the beginning. So you had to learn to speak English really quickly. I did. Uh-huh. That must have been pretty difficult. It was. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I will tell you that we take a lot of things for granted. And for me, pronouncing a word like refrigerator Mm -hmm. was the most frightening thing um, that could happen. You told me that um, you developed uh, a love for books. Who who led you into your love for books and how young were you when that happened? My ESL teacher um, and the way to learn and memorize the words um, was through uh, reading. And how, how young were you when you developed this love for books? In the third grade. Wait a minute. You're telling me you had to learn something very, very difficult very quickly, and even though it was very difficult, you wanted to continue reading other books in the English language? That's correct. So by the time I was in the fourth grade, I was out of ESL class. Wow, you like taking on difficult circumstances, don't you? And, uh, and, and tell me, why, why, why are you doing this gig at the League of United Latin American Citizens? Why don't you go get a job doing something else? It's my way of giving back, and uh, the most important thing is that 100% of the agenda is the Latino community. And where did this uh, love of service come from? You know, I want to say it, it, it goes back to my grandmother, um, and it goes back to her. Why? What are you talking about? She was a very giving person. Did she, she have a nickname for you? She, she did. What was your nickname? She called me her princessita, her princess, and her warrior. Why did she say, why'd she call you her warrior and her princess? You know, I think, one, she had fought through her life, um, but she also wanted to instill 
and me this sense of a fighter. Uh-huh. Alex? Sandy, when did you start work, working and making money? You know, I, I remember this was around the time that, that I was 12, and I was helping my mom clean houses. You were helping mom. And, and what was mom's biggest impact on you? My mom is a pioneer. She's an entrepreneur. She's a hard worker, and she's a person that gives back to. But you told us in the green room something about what you learned from her from a community perspective. What was that? You know, at, at home, we kept an open door in our house, and anyone could walk through that open door. And how have you translated that into your leadership style? And well, wait a minute. Isn't that what you do for a living nowadays? I mean, you basically have taken your home. It's the world now, isn't it? It is. It's always giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. So what your mom, when, when you had these people coming into the house for dinner and to hang out at the house, did it bother you? Not at all. It was a normal thing in my house. How did you feel about it? I loved it. Did you realize one day you were going to recreate it? No idea. Mm-hmm. But that's what you've done. Mm-hmm. Alec, um, Andrew. When we were talking in the green room, you mentioned uh, moving to Alexander, you had an older brother, and then two younger brothers came along shortly thereafter. Uh, what was your what role did you take on with your siblings? Uh, with my two younger ones, I, I helped my mom. And uh, did she tell you to do that, or did you just take it on? It w- I just took it on. Why? They were my brothers. How'd you help them? Changing diapers, holding them, feeding them. What's that have to do with, with what you're doing nowadays? It's about giving back. Andrew, what else were you interested in knowing? Uh, are you are you married? I am. And uh, tell us about your, your kids and what are their names? So I have two two babies. Uh, one is 18-month-old America and four-year-old Victor Hughes. And why did you name them those names? America is after my grandmother, Soyla America, and Victor Hughes is after my husband's oldest brother and Hughes after my mentor, Frankie Hughes. Mm-hmm. How does your grandmother... Or what parts of your grandmother show up today with your work at the uh, at LULAC? I will tell you, my, my grandmother, it's a lot of love, um, giving back, and kindness. And then what part of your grandmother shows up when you're raising your two children? A lot of love and always thinking about the words um, that I instill in them. And what do you want to pass on to them? Heart. Tell us more about that. Uh, a love for community, a love for for service, I love to give to others. And what's the difference or what's the similarity between being a mom and being the CEO of the League of United Latin American Citizens? A lot of hard work. Well, there's gotta be more than that. Well, I will tell you, it's always thinking through the long term, how what I'm doing today could impact the future. And how do you see that playing out? You what's know, the impact gonna be? We have 58 million Latinos in this country, and making sure that we are harnessing their power today is very important for the future. Daniel? Hey, do you have any uh, long-term friends? I do. Uh, who, who is that? I have uh, my friend Rose that I met in the third grade, and my friend Maria and Luisa, who I call Lulu, who I met in the fifth grade. Talk a little bit about them and, and what it was like finding those friends as you moved you know, to a, a new city and a new community. It was bonding. It was really creating a sisterhood. It was having someone that I could connect and talk with, and they've been with me ever since. What's that have to do with what you're doing nowadays for a living? It's building community. Mm-hmm. You talked a lot about heart and love, yet in high school you were a member of the junior ROTC. How does that play in? Well, I'll tell you, ROTC taught me a lot of things, and the, what I would say is the top thing is discipline. 
And well, tell us more about that. How does that show up being a mom and, and being the CEO of a, uh, a, a big advocacy group? It's making sure that no matter what's coming your way, you know the end goal um, and that you're taking action and executing. Alex, what are you thinking? Back in high school, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a pediatrician. Tell, me, tell us more. Yeah, why? I wanted to take care of children and babies um, and then found a love for politics and for community service in a different way. Huh. But you see a similarity between being a pediatrician and what you're doing nowadays. I do. And what's the similarity? It's the love for the community. Huh. How about that? That uh, comes from your mom and your grandmother. What influence did your dad have? You know, my dad is... Um, the person that taught me how to listen. So, so what does that do for you? Aren't well, you supposed to be telling people what to do? Absolutely, but you also, as a leader, you listen. And he also taught me what hard work looks like. So tell us more about how did he model hard work? You know, he would wake up at the peak of dawn. Uh, for him, being on time it meant being there 15 to 20 minutes before. So I'm really curious, what does your dad think about the work you're doing and the role you have today? He's very proud. It, it brings tears to his eyes. How do you know that? I've seen it. What about your grandmother? What would she say? I think she would smile. What did your dad do for a living? My dad details cars. Mm -hmm. and, what do you, and what do you do for a living? What's, what's your title with this organization? You're the CEO of the League of United... How many, how many members are there? We have about 100,000 members, and I am the CEO of the largest and oldest national Latino civil rights organization in the country. And what did you learn from your dad who details cars? Hard work, listening, serving others. Mm -hmm. What else did you learn from him? Patience. Uh, my dad is someone who, in the community, um, connects with a lot of different people. If there's an issue happening back in Honduras, if someone passes away, he will gather the community so that we can send money to help bury that person. So both your mom and dad are community. They are. Uh-huh. What's, uh, what's the website address of this organization, League of United Latin American Citizens? LULAC.org. Let me have that one more time. LULAC.org. We've been speaking with Cindy Benavides, CEO, League of United Latin American Citizens, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, the, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about what do you mean so the idea of having been on the table or being a patient 
I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What do you, what do you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm-hmm. parents, mm-hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. This is John Schuhart. Joining us for our Business Spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like like they're our our friends. So So we get to come in and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our event, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, w- I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that, were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when did you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. Uh, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me, I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is CelebrateFairfax.com. This is John Schuhart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen. Matt, what is Transit Screen? What are you guys doing? We provide software uh, that has live information about all kinds of transportation. So it's a metro, bus, Uber, bikes, scooters, you name it. If you see a screen in the lobby of a building that has that information, that's us. Wow. Uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin until I was 11, then moved to Chicago. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? Younger sister and a younger brother. Uh huh. So, what was the effect of this move uh, when you were a kid? Ultimately, it opened up a lot of opportunities. Uh, I moved to a, a, a city and a, a high school that had a lot of different extracurriculars I could get involved in. I had people I was doing computer stuff with. I joined Boy Scouts, got involved in debate, and traveled nationally at a pretty young age in high school. Wait a minute. All right. This is sort of how young were you when you started coming up with ideas? Uh, probably when I was, you know, six or, or seven, I was playing with computers, uh, writing software on computers. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, just kind of r- discovering things for the first time that were new to me that, that maybe people had seen before. But, you know, I had an adventure game. I wanted a monster to appear there, figured it out, and it was just, you know, glorious. 
How, how did it make you feel when you came up with an idea and you made it happen? You know, that's the kind of thing where you kind of you you almost want to walk away from the keyboard and say, you know, this this really feels nice. Uh, what's that have to do with your uh, with your building this thing called Transit Screen? Well, Transit Screen was always something I was interested in. Transportation, helping people get around. Um, I, I used to travel. Uh, I was a PhD student, got a PhD in neuroscience, and I was coming back from the lab late at night. I just wanted something to tell me where to go to take the bus and when the bus was coming. And so when I realized that the technology was all there to bring that information together, and this was something that that I could use myself, it really um, it, it gave me a passion to deliver it to others. Wait a minute, are you telling me that Transit Screen is the one place that I can look? where it tells me the best way to get from here to there. That's right, and, and the right time to leave, and, and all your options, where, what, and when. Wow, what a pleasure. Uh, let's see, who's got the next question here? I think uh, Daniel. Yeah, so Matt, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about you know, the, the childhood friends that you had when you, when you moved. Uh, what, what kind of a, a role were you taking in that, in that group, and, and what were you guys doing together? Yeah, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, on, on computers, uh, doing some minor league hacking with computers and, and playing games and, you know, writing software. Um, you know, I was always one of the people kind of bringing new ideas and new technology to, to the group. I had, you know, a, a Commodore Amiga, which was this cutting edge thing for, you know, uh, uh, gaming and programming. And I, I was always the one bringing out some of the, the newest stuff to, to them. Yeah, so you didn't know it at the time, but you were really prepping for, for transit screen back when you were a kid and, and kind of talking with all your buddies. Yeah, it was a little bit, uh, you know, I, I, one of my roles is kind of to be product visionary and, and see what the next thing is. Not all my ideas are great ideas, but, uh, you know, some of them were. Uh, well, Mark. one of them was at least. <laughs> Mark? So, uh, yeah, you had a productive childhood. Um, what kind of books or media did you consume? Uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I read some fantasy science fiction. Lord of the Rings was, was my favorite there. Uh, I read some literary fiction. Uh, Hemingway, Farewell to Arms, another, another good one for me. Is there any character or, or event that you sort of carry with you over time? For sure. I mean, I, I always identified with these uh, these heroic quest type stories, right? Uh, you know, Joseph Campbell type stories, uh, Star Wars and the like, uh, Frodo Baggins, clearly, and uh, Robert Jordan and, and uh, Farewell to Arms, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, for whom the bell tolls. It doesn't always end up in the, in the, in the mm -hmm. you know, uh, winning, but gotcha. uh, you end up with a situation where... Andrew? Yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, who your biggest influence was, mom or dad? Uh, probably my dad. Uh, he was a professor of business. Uh, we, uh, we did a lot of stuff together. We used to play chess at, at night. Uh, he uh, really gave me my first job when we were parking cars for Big Ten football games. People would drive in and we'd fill up the parking lot, take the money, and then uh, buy scalp tickets and go to the game. And so you learned a little bit of uh, business savvy from dad and uh, some creativity as well. Uh, for sure. We had to be a little bit creative, uh, you know, with the pricing, with uh, how far away we were from the stadium, with whether we were going to park people in or not after the game. We were a little creative. Mm -hmm. Dwayne? Uh, you mentioned your father was a uh, professor. Do you still, do you, did that make you feel um, academic pressure? Do you, do you still feel that pressure? Uh, I think I always thought that I was going to be a professor, uh, you know, a, a scientist, a physicist, or a neuroscientist before I took the turn into uh, technology. A lot of that pressure, uh, you know, indirectly probably came from my father. It was, some of it was uh, very, you know, self-applied at an early age as well. Mm -hmm. Alex? What impact did mom have in those 8 to 14? 
Uh, my mom had a lot of impact. She was a uh, Spanish teacher, and she quit to, to raise uh, me and my siblings. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom is a, uh, a good listener, and um, she has a style where she really relates to people um, and, and, and builds rapport. Um, that's probably more my leadership style than, than my dad. My dad's a big talker. He likes to fill the room. So how are you applying today what you learned from mom? I think, um, you know, being able to really sit down with someone and understand what their motivations are, what their issues are, what they're going through, um, you know, being able to empathize with them in the moment. I think that's something that I learned from my mom. Now, in the green, you talked about how she would take you to all these different activities. When you got to high school, um, at what point did the activities start to uh, pressure you or get overwhelming? I never really felt pressured by them. Um, one of the, the first things that happened to me in high school was I was, uh, I was a freshman. I was taking uh, advanced placement calculus. I got a D minus my first quarter. Uh, and uh, it was, it was, I was 13 years old. It was, it was a lot to take on. I was also playing football at the time and had no you know, energy. So that kind of put me on a path where I was never going to be valedictorian of my school. And that took a lot of pressure off to just be a pure academic success. That meant I could concentrate on the things I thought were, were really interesting, whether it was debate or um, uh, quiz bowl or, or other competitions. Um, I was always very competitive. Andrew? So uh, going back to your move and, and bringing it to transit screen, uh, when you moved to Chicago, did you ever feel like an outsider? For sure, it was a big social adjustment for me to go through that. Um, you know, I managed to, to find some groups uh, that were doing activities that I, I cared about, but uh, it definitely uh, forced me to kind of readjust and reintegrate. So yeah, you, th you said earlier that uh, Transit Screen was born out of uh, grad school or, or, or college and you couldn't find your way. I, I might argue that you needed to find your way at age 11, right? Mm -hmm. You could say that. And also moving to a city that had uh, had public transit that uh, was That's a disaster right. at the time, but it's gotten a lot better since then, uh, made a difference to, to my awareness of, of all these options. Yeah. Mark, do you have a question there? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what, what does your family think of you now? Um, I'm definitely, uh, you know, the older brother. I'm the role model for, for uh, to some extent, to my, my younger brother. He actually was around when I started the company. He was kind of our communications intern and, and helped a lot out uh, just uh, pro bono. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I still have that role in, in the family. Mm -hmm. But cool. you shared an interesting view in the green room about role models and growing up. Can you explain a little? Yeah, you know, I, I would never, um, you know, discourage people from having role models or, or mentors if they if they want to have them. I just never personally felt the need to have a really strong, you know, role model or a mentor. I always saw people, saw adults more as peers as I was growing up, perhaps because I was advanced in a lot of these ways, math and science and so on. And, um, you know, I think you can you can succeed without having to have oh, you, mentors. You assembled, you assembled a lot of different, you assimilated a lot of different activities, extracurricular activities and adults into your life. So you pick and chose from a bunch of mentors, it sounds like. For sure. And I learned a lot from a lot of teachers along the way. I don't want to say, you know, I, I, I wasn't paying attention, but, but I don't think you need to have a singular mentor. Dwayne? Uh, you mentioned uh, your, your father being a professor. Did you ever attend his classes? And what, what did you take away from his style and, and what, what you learned from him? Uh, my dad was a business professor. I, I actually kind of steered away from business, as, as, as I mentioned, towards uh, science and other things. Um, but, you know, he, he's a great improviser and, and extemporizer. And just being able to kind of flow, that was one of the things when I was debating, that was one of the things I was very good at. And I think I learned that from him. Well, what's that have to do with uh, being the CEO of Transit Screen, this flowing thing? 
Well, uh, transit screen is all about maintaining a flow state when you're traveling. But, um, you know, I think more generally, uh, you have to be able to, to, you know, pitch people, to engage people, um, you know, just like we're talking right now. And it doesn't come naturally to me. And, and that was something I had to learn. Well, it sounds to me like you also had a diversity of interests as a kid, which is an important as a CEO of an organization, especially where you're integrating all this information. It sounds like you were integrating a lot of information back when you were a kid. Same thing you're doing nowadays. Uh, yeah, I think that's one one of my many jobs as a CEO is to be able to you know be the the nervous system of the organization to take that information in and and route it to the right person without you know causing a whole uh, 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 gridlock. What's the website address of Transit Screen? Transitscreen.com. Let me have that one more time. Transitscreen.com. Uh, we've been speaking with Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen, here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Want help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive committee members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Wh what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on in one end of our business. And at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well, you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Chris Taylor, CEO of Govini. Chris, what is Govini? What are you guys doing? 
Gavini is a commercial data company that was founded to advance um, both America's security and competitiveness. Uh-huh. And how large or how small is this company? Uh, 35 uh, employees right now. 35 employees. But you were the CEO of a company that was how many employees? I think you said 16,000 or something? 16,000. So you're 16,000 and now you're 35. Okay. You started another, got involved with another business. Did you uh, Did you start this firm? I did not. All right. So you were brought in to take it to the next level. Where are you from originally? I was born in Richmond, Virginia, but I was raised in South Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. What happened when you were six? My dad passed away. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Two younger brothers and an older half-sister. Uh-huh. So when Dad passed when you were six with two younger brothers, what happened to the family dynamic? Uh, it brought us closer together uh, out of need and, and love. Well, as the, as the older brother, you probably were the one that helped tie it together or you could have ripped it apart. What, what was your role in tying it all together? I guess I was kind of like my mother's executive officer. I made sure that what she wanted done got done. Well, the uh, being the executive officer for your mom, what's that have to do with your being the CEO of Govini now? Well, I think that the translation is uh, any business, any small startup that is working its way through needs to get things done, and being pivotal in that is uh, is important. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. Uh, so you also mentioned there was a bit of a, an issue growing up, a young boy without a father. Tell us about that. Sure. I... But People uh, around me had their fathers taking them to the father-son picnics, things of that nature. Um, but w- what was really most important, what I learned later in life, is I wasn't raised by my biological father, but I was raised by 50 neighborhood fathers. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Give me an example. Um, people on, in my neighborhood is very close. Uh, so fathers of other families would certainly act as your father if you were doing something well or if you were doing something out of line. Like, Give me an example of what they would teach you. How to shave for the first time. Huh. Let me ask you a question. So I understand that you were raised with 50 dads. Somebody would teach you how to shave and everything else. How have you become everybody's father? Well, let's see. You were the CEO of a 16,000-person company, weren't you? I was. Did it ever occur to you that you were the master father? I don't think I ever looked at it that way, but it's it's certainly a central figure in helping. Uh huh. Do you see a similarity there? I do. What is it? Um, that all organizations need a, a a figure of certainly patience, but also a stalwart that's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure I understood, Andrew. Chris, did uh, did mom ever remarry? She did not. And uh, what what did that teach you about mom, or in general? My mom believed that she was married to one person, whether my dad was alive or not, um, and it. Gave me a, I, it caught, it made me revere women more with her persistent patience. What is, what, what do you mean by that? Revere women? Um, my mom raised three young boys by herself in not very good financial circumstances, and she did it with grace and dignity. You've got a, I got the sense in the green room, you have a real strong sense of loyalty. Tell me how that plays out today. Uh, well, I'm certainly very loyal to my brothers, uh, no matter what. But I, it also develops a, a loyalty across any organization that I've chosen to associate with. Why is that so important, that loyalty? I read people suing other people in business. What are you talking about loyalty? You can't win and win big if your organization is not a loyal organization. Wow. There's no harmony. There's no alignment without a loyalty. 
Well, I'm not arguing. You built a business of 16,000 people and sold it. Now you're starting another one at 35. You must know what you're talking about. Daniel? Yeah, so you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, having the 50 fathers, but I want to kind of get a little bit more into that. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the things that they were teaching you and what you learned from having 50 different perspectives? Sure. So uh, all of these perspectives and weighing them has helped me today. For instance, we do a lot of work in the Pentagon. It's a Fortune 1 organization with a $750 billion budget. The ability to negotiate and navigate various points of view inside that building, for me, is a direct result of hearing and weighing the various different um, uh, thoughts of, of my 50 fathers mm-hmm. growing up. Alex? <clears throat> Chris, in the green room, you talked about playing a lot of sports. What was your favorite sport? Rugby. And what role did you play? I was a hooker. Man, that's tough being in the pack. What did you learn playing hooker? That every once in a while, you have to spread the pain across a bunch of loyal brothers. And, and how's that translated into how you are as a CEO? Well, I think we shouldn't endeavor to do anything in business or life if we're not going to do it with people that we care about and with and who are equally committed to the same uh, vision. That's excellent. Now, you've had a chance to be CEO of a 16,000 organization. What's, what's different and similar about being a CEO of a 35-person company? Uh, day and night, moon and sun are the differences. Uh, certainly playing with your own money in a startup versus using other people's money in a large organization is very, very different. Uh, it's a different stomach ache that you get. Um, but I think the similarities are if you do it right from the beginning, you can grow a culture that outlasts you. And that's how businesses ultimately become great. They outlast whoever the CEO is at the time. John? So tell us about your military service. Uh, I spent 14 years in the Marine Corps as an enlisted infantryman and force recon Marine. And what did you learn in that 14 years? What are the key things you took away from that? I think uh, certainly discipline, but I think above and beyond that, that a shared shared values and a strong culture gets you through anything. So do you have any kids? I do. I have a 27-year-old daughter named Erin and a 22-month-old daughter named Lucy. So you mentioned strong, respect for strong women, shared suffering with brothers and discipline. What are the key things you're trying to pass along to those uh, two young ladies? Well, I hope that we're, I'm passing along that the world is beautiful and it's a kind place, and sometimes it's not. And that to be able to balance between when to be kind and compassionate and when to be prepared to deal with struggle is every bit as important. How, how young were you when you started making money? About 12 years old. Doing what? Oh, man, I delivered papers. I cut grass. I had a grass cutting business. I had a snow blowing business. What did you learn from the snow blowing business that helped you grow a 16,000 person firm? <laughs> that scale matters. It's really hard to drag a snowblower from house to house in winter when you can't drive yet. Mm-hmm. What was your major in the college? I was a theater major when I first went to college. Now, what does a theater major, what's that have to do with building a 16,000 person firm and now a 35 person firm that you hope to grow as well? I think if anything, it gave me a story telling appreciation for storytelling and 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 I practice it it is in my view the most important trait that any CEO can have is what storytelling why good story 
you're trying to if you're trying to elicit greatness from everybody in your organization, you have to be able to raise them up and point them all in the same direction. When you were a kid, who had the greatest influence on you? My mother. What do you? You had these fifty men. What are you talking about? But my mother was the core, was the center. So how? What do you mean? Um, she just made sure that everything was okay. She, regardless of the challenge of the heart uh, of the hardship, she made sure that things were okay, and she did it in a way that didn't freak us out, that didn't do anything but cause us to come closer together. Mom was steady, Eddie. Wildly so. What's that have to do with being the CEO? Well, I think, uh, as any other CEO would would know, that sometimes things go well and sometimes things don't. What we do in the sunshine doesn't really matter. What we do when it's raining and storming is the thing that matters the most. Uh-huh. What do you mean by that? Um, everybody's a good CEO when the numbers are good. Not everybody's a great CEO when you're trying when you've suffered something and the numbers aren't great and you're trying to bring them back. And what's that have to do with your role in that rugby team? You have to spread that pain across very trusted people in order to get back to right. Tell me what you mean by that. Um, it is a fool's errand to think of the great man theory that one person can run a company better than anyone else. It is a team that is that is forged both uh, in, in, we'll call it business battle, and other things um, that actually meets that meets these challenges. What's the website address for Govini? Govini.com. We've been speaking Chris Taylor, CEO of Govini, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Tia Flick. And Tia, what, what organization are you with? Wear Aware. And uh, what is Wear Aware? What do you guys do? We're a digital agency. Mm -hmm. And what's your specialty in the agency? I focus on search and analytics. Search and analytics. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So that's uh, how you show up organically in Google. Uh Uh, It's Uh pay-per-click. And then how to measure all of that. Now, there's only certain, certain kinds of businesses that should be worrying about that stuff, right? Nope. Everyone should be worrying about it. Tell us a little bit about what types of clients and what kinds of industries you've been able to help. We work across a broad range of industries. Um, So we work with everyone, local companies Mm -hmm. who might do air conditioning and HVAC Mm -hmm. to really large companies that you might have heard of like Pitney Bowes. Mm -hmm. And you're helping these folks, your specialty in the firm is helping them with a digital strategy? Yes, so I I specifically focus on uh, all their search needs. Mm -hmm. What, 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 What do you like about that gig? Well, the, the industry is moving at a lightning fast speed, mm-hmm. and I love being able to help our clients guide through that chaos that's happening. So you come up with creative ideas and present these ideas to them regarding how to get them results from search and all that other kinds of stuff. That's correct. And you gotta keep involved with them because there's so many things changing all the time, it sounds like. Yes, constantly. Hmm. Doesn't that frighten you, all that change? Oh, I think it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I love mm-hmm. the constant pace of change. And What's the website address for the organization? It's wearaware.com. Let me have that again. Wearaware.com, W-H-E-R-E-O-W-A-R-E.com. We've been speaking with, your name again is? Tia Flick. 
And this has been your Business Spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How old is this organization? We're just just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have, to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. It's bostonbid.com. And, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Balsambid. time. Bostonbid.com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. Want help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. 
We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce Jason Siegel, partner of Bluetex. Jason, what is Bluetex? What are you, what are you guys doing? Bluetex is a leading digital marketing and branding agency in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- the way we go to market is we do brand strategy. What's the brand message? Brand presentation, great websites and the like, and brand delivery, PR, mm-hmm. content marketing, advertising. How large or how small is this firm? We're about 50 folks, mm-hmm. close to 15 million in revenue. And uh, how'd you get a job with it? Uh, so I'm the co-founder of the agency, mm-hmm. and about 15 months ago, mm-hmm. we exited to uh, mm-hmm. a large private equity firm in Memphis, Tennessee. Where you f- and uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Long Island, New York, in uh, a small town called Northport on the Water. How many brothers and sisters? I've got an older brother and a younger half-sister. Uh-huh. What was going on around the time of your bar mitzvah, around the age of 13? Unfortunately, my parents got a divorce around that time. Uh, your parents got a divorce when you were about 13. Okay. Andrew. Where did you go to live? So I decided my brother and I were, my brother was a senior in high school, so he thought, I'm going to go live with dad. And then I decided that I was going to live with my mother. I thought in the long run, it would probably give me the kind of personality that uh, I wanted growing, uh, going into being a man. What are you talking about there? What do you mean? My mother just had a certain demeanor that I thought was the kind of demeanor I wanted when I wanted to be an Like adult. what? Just caring, nice, calm. Uh, I think a lot of people now say in, uh, in tense situations, I tend to stay pretty mm-hmm. calm. Andrew, what else? What did, uh, what did you do that first summer after the divorce? Yeah, so uh, we moved to a small apartment from a large house, and uh, across the street was a pond supply store. Um, and there I was um, basically uh, helped, helped customers with understanding how to install ponds, Japanese koi, and water lilies. Well, in the, uh, in the green room we talked about, it, you, you obviously being that age, you had no background in this, right? So... Uh, and, and the store didn't previously install the ponds. Uh, t- tell us about how you went about figuring out how to do that. Yeah, so uh, in the back was the um, 90-year-old grandfather that I spent a lot of time in the greenhouse with, and uh, he decided to help teach me how to install ponds so that when customers came in and wanted a pond, I would, um, I would be able to offer that as a, my own sort of freelance service, um, which turned into a, um, a business for the next five summers, uh, quite lucrative for me. How lucrative was it? Um, some summers I'd be bringing in thirty to forty thousand dollars in cash. So it was uh, it was it was exciting. My mother was uh, mm-hmm. wondering if I was doing anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Who's Jason. Up? In the green room, you talked about <clears throat> playing tennis. Um, what do you remember most from that period of time in high school and playing tennis? Yeah, so it all started in junior high. Um, my father was thinking I should maybe go to Nick Balateri's academy down in Florida. Uh, I was going playing on the freshman team while in junior high. And I, although played on the doubles and singles, I much more enjoyed singles because um, it kept my frame of mind right because if my doubles partner wasn't doing well, I'd be getting frustrated with them. So singles put my own destiny in my own hands. Well, and how does that translate into your CEO style? Um, you know, I like to take destiny into my own hands, although I do really love uh, some of my business partners now. Um, they help offset me. But, um, you know, when times get tough or business gets soft, I like being an entrepreneur where I can control my own destiny and just work a little bit harder. Um, I often say that it's not luck in business. It's being prepared and then just opportunity. So getting yourselves in a, in a bad economy, just exposing yourself to more and more people, more and more opportunities. Um, things will come together. John? How did you get into web design? Yeah, so in college I was majoring, double majoring in finance um, and marketing. I didn't know which way to go. So I took an internship in finance. Within a week I was completely checked out and hated it. 
taught myself web design that summer and won Yahoo's College Web Designer of the Year, which allowed me to uh, thrust into starting an agency out of my college dorm room. So we got ponds, we got web designs. As a kid, what was your first entrepreneurial uh, adventure? So my father and I would connect by talking about the New York Yankees and baseball, and uh, baseball cards were just something I was quite passionate about. So on weekends, we would go to the local card shows where I would walk around and uh, try to hustle the, the Don Mattingly and Jose Canseco for the Mickey Mantle and Roberto Clemente. And that's where I came to learn that um, taking the long view and being smart about thinking about the value of those cards um, and sort of the act of commerce and trading and sort of romancing the dealer into doing the trade with uh, young little me. So how lo- how lucrative was baseball card trading? Is a it was lucrative enough kid? that it paid for close to two years of my college. So um, it, it was great. And I, I still have some of the cherries and uh, I share them with my children. And they're always fascinated by those cards in the big glass case. And speaking of kids, how many kids do you have? I got three beautiful kids, um, 10, 8, and 7. So what are you teaching them? Um, I always say to them, uh, no lie, no steal, no cheat. Uh, work hard and uh, be a good person. Seems to have worked out all right for you. I try my best every day. Daniel? Yeah, so talking a little bit more about taking the long view, you think that that uh, is one of the reasons why you've been so successful with, with all of your enterprises? Yeah, what I've noticed when I was first came into this market that it's, it seemed that there was these spikes and then these um, – sort of plateaus in the business, especially in marketing agencies where money gets cheap in macroeconomic ways, and then the PE guys and venture guys come in, gobble up the agencies. So I've seen twice now, basically every seven years, a whole swath of agencies get taken out. So when we started this agency, the whole vision was in about five to eight years to be able to sell when money was dirt cheap and people were um, spending it quite... uh, quite richly. Yeah. Um, so we exited last year exactly on plan. So we know the we know the story about the baseball cards kind of gave you the, the the vision for the long view, but what are some other stories, you know, from from growing up that, that kind of instilled that that long view in you? Um, well, it was the it was the baseball cards, it was the ponds, it was, you know, working with others, understanding that you're not you can't do everything. I learned early on that there were other people that were better at certain parts and there were times that being part of a team was a better um, a better way to go about it than going alone. But what do you mean? Like, give me an example of that. Um, like, for example, r- even right now, um, one of my closest business partners is just so great at running the operations in a tight ship. And I'm really, uh, I think I offset him well with being creative and digital, uh, sort of innovation and sort of leading on the edge. And he keep brings me back to reality. So uh, working with it. Working well together that way, I've noticed that you need partnerships, and it is a team sport. Did you have any partners when you were digging the ponds growing up? I brought in some t- uh, some of my, my local friends, um, but I did learn after maybe a few projects that didn't go as well that it would have been good to have a partner equally thinking about the importance of success and that engagement. Jason, you talked a lot about your mom. What did you learn from your dad? Um, my dad was great in business. Uh, I would go into the city with him. He was a pioneer in the media buying space. Um, and I would watch him interact with coworkers. He was sort of uh, very fun in the in the hallways and personable. Um, so I learned that there's a whole aspect of building relationships in the workplace. Um, and I often look at that as sort of the long view as well. Uh, some of my designers that I mentored are now creative directors at big Silicon Valley companies, and they have come to hire me to work with me again. Except they're now the tables have turned. They're now the boss. 
If you could go back to that uh, 13-year-old kid whose parents were just divorced and give him some advice, what would it be? Um, well, I often look at just sort of life as uh, – you need to have five-year, 10-year plans. You need to say, like, where am I trying to go? And if things aren't go looking like it's going there, you gotta take. You have to make a hard decision to shift back. So I often look, and I often look at life as sort of a frog jumping to lily pads. You want to associate with people who associate with other people that you want to be associated with. So sort of not getting, my mother used to always say to me when I was young, there was this uh, one friend of mine, Brian Duker, I'll never forget it, and she said, I don't want you to hang out with him. He's not good people, and I don't like the people he hangs out with. And it, was, it sort of taught me very young that you need to be careful of the types of people you associate with, because that's how your brand gets sort of pulled into. So what does your mom think about uh, what you're doing these days? My mom, I, I love it. She tells everyone I'm very successful doing computers. Um, so it's the most generic way, but um, she's just amazed because it really was, my grandma was a great hard worker, but there's never been an entrepreneur really in the family since, uh, until me. Um, so she's just sort of amazed as to uh, my ability to exit three businesses uh, before 40. Jason, who'd you idolize in tennis back in the day? Um, Goran Ivanisevic. Goran Ivanisevic was this classic Croatian hard server. I'm a big hard server, uh, but the best thing is he never won Wimbledon. Er, he didn't win Wimbledon ever as a seated player. He went into Wimbledon as an unseated player one year and went all the way to the top and won. Jason, what's the website address for this organization, Blue Text? It's bluetext.com. That's T-E-X-T, bluetext.com. Excellent. We've been speaking with Jason Siegel, partner of Blue Text. John, can you give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity of hanging out with today? Our first guest was Cindy Benavides, CEO of the League of United Latin American Citizens. Then we talked to Stephanie Eberhardt, co-founder and managing partner of Talent Remedy. Our third guest was Chris Taylor, the CEO of Govini. And our last guest was Jason Siegel, partner of Blue Text. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Daniel Patterson, Brunch Digital, and Alex Bartholomew's People Stretch Solutions for giving me a hand structuring the questions, hopefully providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's Executive Leaders Radio. Dot com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com. In order to learn more about our executive leaders, thank you for joining us today and have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.